It is Wednesday, May 17th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. Jared, we've talked a lot lately about rookies. There's going to be some of those guys involved today, but we're shifting the focus a little bit more from rookie drafts to and, and dynasty. Obviously, we were talking about the prospects and then um, rookie drafts, but to 2023 drafting there's plenty of best ball drafting going on we've been doing plenty of that i know we talk about plenty of that and the 2023 rankings have been up on draftsharks.com this whole time since early april you can click the link in the notes for this show you can follow along as we talk about some backfields you can see how we project all the running backs that we're about to talk about in this show you can also check their ceiling and floor projections who's the riskiest who has the highest ceiling the kind of guy that you should chase even through some uncertainty. And Jared, I think those matter a lot, those ceiling and floor projections for the types of things we're talking about today because we're going to be focusing on those tough-to-project backfields, the, the most difficult teams to figure out on that front. So it matters what kind of ceiling you're chasing. Yeah, the guy who sits highest in our rankings might not always be the best pick for your fantasy team, right? Like, especially as you get later in the draft, you really in the draft war room will do that for you. It's going to switch over to upside mode halfway through your draft and sort of highlight those guys with the higher ceilings because that's what you care about much more than the baseline projection, the deeper and deeper you get into fantasy drafts. Yeah. And like I said, especially among the guys we're talking about today, it's going to matter because we're going to run through seven specific backfields that were the toughest to project. Um, this season, let's go ahead and start with the Eagles here, Jared. The team ranked third in rushing attempts last year. So you look at the Eagles, you think, oh, great situation for rushing volume, rushing uh, production. They finished fifth in rushing yards. They finished first in rushing touchdowns. But a lot of that was the quarterback. A lot of it was the quarterback. You're right. But Philly running backs did combine for the 10th most rushing yards and the third most rushing touchdowns. So there was still, you know, fantasy points to be had from this backfield. And last year, you know, Miles Sanders soaked up most of that. Sanders finished 15th among running backs in PPR points last year. He was 12th in half PPR points. Now, of course, Sanders gone this year. Uh, Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift joined this Eagles backfield. So, yeah, it, it is a tough one to project because there are, you know, a couple new faces here. Mm-hmm. Um, Eagles running backs did, however, tie for just 25th in PPR points last season. So you mentioned Miles Sanders' success. The problem here, and I think what makes it so difficult to project, is they basically replaced um, Miles Sanders with Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. And what we have to do as projectors, rankers, is guess, really, what the Eagles are going to do in terms of divvying up the touches among those guys. Yeah, you, you mentioned you know how low the Eagles finished in terms of you know team running back points in PPR despite the, the rushing production. That's because Eagles running backs had the second fewest catches in the NFL last year. So that that's the issue with Swift here because you look at what he's done in the NFL so far, and it's in the passing game where he's been best. And I, I think that's kind of kind of how he projected even coming into the league. So it's almost like the the Eagles need to create that role for DeAndre Swift because it, it wasn't there last year, right? I mean, you know, uh, Kenneth Gainwell was kind of their, their pass catching back, and he only caught 20-something passes. Miles Sanders, as, as the lead back, only caught 20 passes. So that's the big question here, I think, for Swift is, you know, where where does he find those targets that he's going to need? Because to, to me, I do think Rashad Penny is going to play a big role in the running game, potentially a bigger role. I think it's possible that Rashad, Rashad Penny outcarries DeAndre Swift this season. 
Yeah, and you mentioned they had the second fewest receptions. They also had the the smallest reception share for running backs of any team in the league. So they weren't throwing to those guys a lot. Now, the question that we won't be able to answer until the season approaches or starts is, is that because they didn't like the running backs that they had? And maybe that's part of why they traded for DeAndre Swift is they wanted somebody that's a better receiver. Or is it just a bad place to catch passes as a running back and that's going to hurt Swift? I think there's probably some of both of those, you know, Anytime you finish last as a team in something, it's likely that you're going to do more of that next year and not finish last again. Is this ever going to be a great spot for running back receptions? Definitely not, because it, it just doesn't make as much sense for Jalen Hurts to throw a ball to a running back as it does for most other quarterbacks in the league, namely Jared Goff for DeAndre Swift's purposes. It's also worth noting that the Eagles re-signed Boston Scott this offseason, so he's still around. Howie Roseman did talk up Kenneth Gainwell a little bit. Um, I forget if it was during the playoffs or right after the playoffs ended. Mm-hmm. You know, tough to know how much we gauge that if it doesn't matter at all because they acquired two new running backs since then. Yeah. He even talked up Trey Sermon some last year. <laughs> maybe that's something we ignore completely. Or maybe he's in the mix to get some touches. For me, There are just so many guys here, and with the lead back being the quarterback, I'm not terribly interested in any Eagles running back for fantasy. Yeah, I mean, none of these guys sit higher than 30th in our running back rankings, PPR or non-PPR. Now, again, we talked about upside. I do think there's upside. Like, with Penny and Swift, if one of those guys goes down, and they've both had trouble staying healthy in the NFL, Penny obviously, you know, first and foremost. But even DeAndre Swift has missed, uh, I think it's 10 games over, yeah, 10 games through his three NFL seasons. Like, if one of those guys goes down, then the other one, I think, becomes at least a weekly fantasy starter and potentially, like, a top 20 guy. Um, Yeah, the the Gainwell stuff, I kind of never really bought into. You just look at how the Eagles have used him. The only times he's seen big workloads is in games where the Eagles were in blowouts, usually, you know, blowing the other team out. There was one case where uh, Gainwell got double-digit carries when the Eagles got blown out by by double-digit scores. So um, I, I just I, I don't buy him being a big part of the offense, at least a big enough part to be a fantasy factor. And again, I think the fact that the Eagles did go out and you know sign Rashad Penny and then trade for DeAndre Swift is kind of a confirmation that they they don't trust Gainwell to play a big role. I agree. I think Gainwell was interesting early when all we knew was that Miles Sanders was probably not re-signing, but now that they have acquired two new running backs since then, I'm not buying it either. I think the one last note that I want to make on Rashad Penny is how little he signed for. He signed for less than what they paid to bring Boston Scott back. And I'm not saying that means they like Boston Scott better than Rashad Penny. There are veteran contract rules where they probably had to pay Boston Scott whatever they did. And obviously they didn't have to pay Rashad Penny more than they did to bring him in. So why pay him more than you need to? I do think that it's something to keep in mind as maybe Rashad Penny doesn't have the ceiling either on opportunity or from what the league thinks he's capable of at this point. So, you know, it's just one of those... Mm-hmm. Try not to get too excited. I would say ADP is not too excited about him right now, though. Yeah, I think Penny's fairly priced. I've been drafting him quite a bit, actually, especially on underdog where it's half PPR. So I think, you know, that's the, that's the knock on Penny. Is he, he's never caught passes anyways, and he's, he's not going to catch passes in Philly. Um, if you, if you want to look at his contract through rose-colored glasses, I think it makes him a lot less likely to get cut because the Eagles, you know, they're not paying him much. They only save like half a mil by cutting him. So I, I think his, his roster spot is, 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 is pretty safe. I mean, if you want to play it like that, there's only half a million guaranteed, so they don't need to keep him around. They can easily right. you know, take that cap hit and not worry about it. Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's half a mil if they cut him, so I, I think he'd have to really bomb or or get hurt again or something for him you know, not to be on this team. 
Yeah, we'll see what he does this summer. I have not been drafting much, but he's. I'm also not opposed to the um, plan for drafting him. It's more so about the other running backs that are available, but that's another show at another time. Let's move on to the second backfield, and it's the Bears here, and it's at least as muddy, maybe even more so. The Bears, we talked about how few receptions there were for Eagles running backs last year. The Bears had the fewest receptions for running backs last year. Part of that was they barely threw the ball at all. So there wasn't that much available. They were a better spot for receiving share at the position 19th in that category for running backs last year. So I think that there is some more upside for receiving than it might seem if they pass significantly more. And I would say, you know, trading for Chase Claypool last year, trading for DJ Moore this offseason indicates Chicago plans to pass more. Obviously, they could pass significantly more than last year and still be among the most run-heavy teams in the league. So, Jared, what are you doing with this Chicago backfield? Yeah, this one's pretty easy for me. You know, despite despite the Bears last year finishing second in the NFL in rush attempts and first in total rushing yards, Bears running backs combined for the 24th most PPR points and the 28th most half PPR points. That's obviously obviously because Justin Fields was hogging a lot of that rushing production fields had 38% of the team's rushing yards, 44% of the rushing touchdowns, 50% fields had half of the team's carries inside the five yard line. So despite being super run heavy, there just, there wasn't a lot of, you know, fantasy points to go around to this backfield in general. And now it looks like, you know, we're probably going to have three guys at least, you know, seeing the field every week with Cleo Herbert, Roshan Johnson, and Dante Foreman, you know, figuring out how touches will be divvied. That's part of what we're trying to do with these projections. But I just, I don't, without an injury to at least one of those guys, potentially two, like I, I, it's tough to see any of these guys getting enough work to, you know, be someone we can count on, at least in lineup setting fantasy leagues as, as, as weekly starters. Yeah, it's not an awesome spot for workload volume. It's not an awesome spot for touchdown volume. So you should not approach this backfield and say, I'm going to bet on this guy and he's going to be a stud. There's probably not going to be a stud from this backfield, but we do have to sort out these guys and figure out where to rank them, who to take first, where the upside is, if there's some, and there's always some upside. So sorting them out, Jared, this is what we do know about the guys involved. Deontay Foreman is an okay runner. He has had decent success the past two years, With two different teams, he also offers no receiving. So we get a guy that was solid for the Titans, and then they let him walk for a small one-year deal. He was solid for the Panthers, and then they let him walk for a one-year deal. So he's a replacement-level running back. We know that Khalil Herbert was a sixth-round pick who didn't get much work behind David Montgomery the past two years in Chicago. We don't know Roshan Johnson's upside because he was – you know, buried a little bit by Bashan Robinson the past three years, but we do know that he has impressed with the passing game skills. So he's a good pass blocker. He's a solid receiver. We know that the bears like that aspect for him. That's what I really like about Roshan Johnson. So especially when we combine that with the relative prices for everybody, he's the one that I'm buying into. Yeah. Again, I'm not really buying into any of these guys. Um, to me, to me, Dante Foreman's the guy I'm least interested in. Um, like you said, you know, nothing in the passing game. He got a, he signed a pretty, you know, cheap one-year deal, just one million guaranteed. And he, you know, even if you're just looking at, you know, rushing ability, Dante Foreman lost out to Cleo Herbert in Football Outsiders rushing DVOA last year, PFF rushing grade, elusive rating, rush yards over expected per attempt. Like any metric you look at, Cleo Herbert was better than Dante Foreman. Last year, and Claire Herbert was awesome in any of those metrics you look at last year. Like he has been an efficient runner. The question is, do the do the Bears care, right? Um, you know, are they going to give him the ball? 
this front office, this GM and this coaching staff wasn't even in Chicago when the Bears picked Herbert in 2021. And then they, you know, signed Dante Foreman and they, and they draft Roshan Johnson. So it looks like they don't want to give Cleo Herbert a big role, even if, you know, maybe he, he's earned it with his play, especially last year. So again, I, I think, again, it's going to be a two-man committee at least. It might be a three-man committee. The thing about Roshan is you talked about Dante Foreman offering nothing, nothing in the passing game. Cleo Herbert doesn't offer much in the passing game either. Whereas Roshan, you know, that college receiving numbers weren't huge because he was playing behind Bajan Robinson. He did Roshan did catch 23 balls as a true freshman at Texas before Robinson arrived. And since the Bears drafted Roshan, they've been talking up his ability in the passing game, specifically his pass protection ability, which you know we don't we don't score pa- fantasy points for, but it gets a guy on the field for passing downs, which we know, you know, that's that's where you score fantasy points. A target is worth like two and a half more points than than a carry on average for a running back. So I, I think that's the argument in favor of Roshan here. I think he's already the favorite to handle passing down work. And then if he can capture like half of the running back carries, you know, that that could be enough to make him at least semi-interesting. Yeah, 28 targets for Khalil Herbert the past two years versus 91 for David Montgomery. And a lot of those that Herbert did get were in games that Montgomery missed. So, And that was on a team with bad receivers last year, too. I I agree. I, th- I think it's a backfield that you can just be totally out on, and that's fine because yeah. you're not missing out on a monster here. Um, but I like Roshan Johnson best for the passing game work, and especially because he's going behind Khalil Herbert still in drafts. Honestly, I'm not really – I don't really understand why there are pockets of Khalil Herbert fandom still remaining but if you prefer him first you know that's fine like i said not uh that meaningful a backfield and nobody's going early enough to crush you if you're wrong if you have a favorite among these bears running backs though whether it be favorite at cost whether it be a guy that you think has a higher ceiling than what we've portrayed here maybe you're just out on the whole group together you're just not drafting any of them hit the youtube comments below right now we want to hear it we'd like to know what you think about these bears so let us know about that or about any other backfield we're talking about in this show jerry let's move to the texans who are slightly more interesting than the bears they definitely have more room for there to be running back success and running back touches because they don't have justin fields or jalen hurts at quarterback what makes this backfield tough to project for 2023 though yeah, well, just starting with the general situation in Houston here, I mean, this was this was not a productive or voluminous running game last year. The Texans last year, 24th in run rate. They were 30th in total rushing attempts, 31st in rushing yards. It is a brand-new coaching staff this year. Head coach D'Amico Ryans, OC Bobby Slowick, who comes over from, from San Francisco. He's part of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. You know, those obviously have been productive running games. Also, obviously, a big quarterback upgrade in Houston with C.J. Stroud. So the offense in general could be better. I do think the running game is going to give us more fantasy production this year. Um, it's Damian Pierce back after a, an impressive rookie season. And then Devin Singletary, who was signed in for agency from the bills to me, this one should be easy. It should be Damian Pierce getting like at least two thirds of this backfield work. Again, really strong rookie season from Pierce. He was ninth in PFF rushing grade among 48 qualifiers first in elusive rating uh, 24th in rush yards over expected per attempt. Beat, he beat Devin Singletary in all three of those metrics and Singletary just hasn't been better than, than league average really since, since he entered the NFL. So um, the, I guess the, the case for Singletary is, you know, Pierce was a fourth round pick and has no ties to this coaching staff where, you know, Houston went out and signed Devin Singletary to not a big deal, but, you know, Singletary got 2.5 million guaranteed on his one year deal. You know, compare that to Dante Foreman who only got a mil. So it was a, a bit of a, 
a, a decent contract for Devin Singletary, but still, like to me, if the, if the best player is going to play, that that's clearly Damian Pierce to me, and he he's the one I'm interested in for for fantasy. Yeah, it certainly should be Damian Pierce easily leading this backfield. Um, And he's somebody that I try to talk myself into drafting. My issue with him in drafts so far is not really Devin Singletary, because if he loses work to Devin Singletary, then it's a sign that Damian Pierce is just not that good a player. But Mm -hmm. ADP-wise, an underdog right now, he's right ahead of Joe Mixon, who has climbed to get to that Mm -hmm. point. Um, he's just behind Miles Sanders, JK Dobbins, very similar to those guys. So I think Damian Pierce doesn't really stand out from an ADP standpoint. Mm-hmm. I agree with you though, that he should be the easy backfield leader for Houston. Mm-hmm. I think Devin Singletary remains interesting because there isn't much else. And even though Singletary was just okay for the bills over the past four years, he did manage to stay on the field. He did manage to stay heavily involved 15th among all running backs in carries over that span. 14th among running backs in targets did have a higher PFF receiving grade than Damian Pierce last year. And Damian Pierce trailed Rex Burkhead in targets last season. He trailed Jordan Akins. He trailed four different Houston receivers. You know, I'm not sure how much we can glean from last year's results. It was a terrible quarterback. It was a different coaching staff. It might just be totally different now, but we don't really know what Damian Pierce is as a receiver yet. So Devin Singletary is somebody I sprinkle in a little bit in that, RB five range of best ball drafts. Certainly not somebody that I'm excited about. There probably are receptions available here. The Texans had the fifth most running back receptions last year. Again, there have been some changes since then. There's a better quarterback. Hopefully that means a better offense and really higher upside for the entire backfield. Yeah. The passing down snaps is the big question in the Texans backfield for me. Um, As you alluded to, neither Singletary nor Pierce was good in the passing game last year. They both ranked 32nd or worse among 43 qualifiers in both yards per route run and PFF receiving grade. Singletary, you look at his box scores and he's, he's, he caught a decent number of balls in Buffalo. He's never been efficient in the passing game though. He's never ranked better than 28th among running backs in PFF receiving grade, never ranked better than 32nd among running backs in yards per route run. So it was more just like an opportunity, him being, I guess, I guess the, the best option for the Bills. But I don't think he's a great pass catcher. Pierce, we kind of just don't know. Again, the, the college stuff yeah. wasn't great, and last year it wasn't great. So Mike Mike Boone's here too. Any chance, you know, Mike Mike Boone steals pass catching work? I doubt it. There's but, a chance. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, there is another rookie that people are – oh, no, I think I'm thinking about somebody else now. So that that's the thing, though. That's what makes it difficult is we're not we're not looking at one guy who's been really good and one guy who's been really bad in the receiving stuff and saying, well, the Texans are going to go with this guy who's really good. We've got one guy who's been meh and one guy who has one year in the league so far and the jury's still out on him. So, you know, ultimately at, at times, folks, even we're just guessing on this stuff. So know that going in. We're making educated guesses, but guesses nonetheless. On to the next one, the Jaguars, and this is an offense that emerged last year, so definitely interesting for fantasy upside in 2023. Jared, why don't you start with what makes projecting the Jaguars' backfield difficult? We don't know how much. To me, to me, it's more of a question of how much work is Tank Bigsby going to steal from Travis Etienne. I, I'd still be surprised if Bigsby was a standalone fantasy option this season. I think, I think he is the ETN handcuff. I think that makes him worth drafting as an RB five and RB six. And I think, you know, he'd obviously be a strong fantasy play if ETN goes, goes down because this is a good offense. But to me, the big question here is, you know, how, how much of a bite will Bigsby take out of ETN's numbers this season? Just how highly should we project Travis ETN? 
I think we should project Travis Etienne less highly than where he currently is. From week seven on last year, that was when James Robinson sat out against the Giants right before he got traded. From that point on, Travis Etienne was RB11 in non-PPR points, total points, RB18 in total PPR points, RB12 in opportunity share. So that's carries plus targets, you know, as a share of team total. He's currently RB12 in underdog ADP. So he's being drafted right at where he was usage-wise with nothing else in that backfield. Now, you can say what you want about Jermichael Hasty or Snoop Connor, who barely existed last year, but there was nothing else. And Travis Etienne was 12th. Among, among running backs and opportunity share. He's almost two rounds ahead of Miles Sanders. And I don't think that Travis Etienne and Miles Sanders are really different players. Sanders was much more efficient as a runner last year. Granted, he was in Philly. Travis Etienne was mm-hmm. in Jacksonville behind a much worse offensive line. Travis Etienne's still behind that offensive line. We don't know how much Jacksonville believes in him as a receiver. The way that they used ETN as a receiver specifically last year makes me think that they don't love his receiving work. Um, and then, you know, Doug Peterson has already said that you need multiple backs. That's not a surprise. All teams operate that way at this point. But then to take Tank Bigsby in round three, to me, says that they're giving him a healthy amount of work, that they want to take some load away from Travis ETN. I, I just, I don't think he's a good value at where he's going. I don't think there's any upside versus yeah. his current ADP. I, I'm not, I'm not um, against you there. And you know, we, we have ETN RB 13. So we are a spot below ADP. He's not a guy I've been drafting a ton of um, the, the Sanders comparison is interesting. I just pulled up our projections. We have them projected for the, to play the same number of games, 16 games. We have ETN for four more carries and two fewer targets. So volume wise, I'm with you. I think they project similarly. Now I, I think ETN's a better player. And I think I think he's for sure on the better offense. So that that's kind of the marks in his favor. But um, yeah, I guess I guess you know price considered, I do think you know Sanders is probably a better pick at this point than ETN. Miles Sanders third in rushing DR according to Football Outsiders last year, sixth in DVOA, third in success rate versus ETN at seventeenth, twentieth, and sixteenth. Carolina, by the way, was ninth in adjusted line yards last year. So he's going to a mm-hmm. team with a pretty solid O line. Um, the RBs got exactly what was blocked there. So I think that this staff believes they are upgrading yeah. from last year's group with Sanders behind an offensive line. That's already pretty good. Obviously QB situation dramatically improved. They hope with Bryce young around, I think miles Sanders too has much worse competition in his backfield than Travis Etienne. So, you know, we'll see exactly how much work goes to tank Bigsby. I'm sure that I am giving him more than what your numbers are but I, I dislike yeah. ETN more at market value than I do in terms of a player or what he means for the Jaguars, I guess. Right. Yeah. For me, my ETN thing comes down to, I, I just think he's a really good player. You know, he got first round draft capital, obviously missed his, his entire rookie season. So last year was like his rookie year and you know, he, he was good. Um, he was fourth among all running backs in rush yards over expected per attempt. It was Clail Herbert, number one, which we probably should have mentioned when we talked about him, but <laughs> Herbert one, Nick Chubb two, Tony Pollard three, Travis Etienne four. So you know, he, he was in good company up there. I think I think he's a really good player. I guess we'll see if it's really good or just good. But for here, we'll move on to the Dolphins backfield. And here's the one thing that I know for sure about this backfield, Jared. It's going to frustrate fantasy managers. Yeah. So I guess before we get further on why it's going to be frustrating, how did you go about projecting this group? Yeah, this is a good backfield to take shots on in best ball. Cause I do think it's going to be frustrating from week to week. All three of these guys, you know, uh, 
Devin A. Chain, Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert have big playability. This is an offense that's going to put points on the board. So I think there's going to be times throughout the season that, you know, these guys are useful. Figuring it out week to week might be tough. I, to me, where I started, and this is obviously where I started pre-draft before they added A. Chain, but was just looking at Raheem Mostert and, and Jeff Wilson. I mean, they only played five healthy games together last year. It was Wilson leading the way in carries in those five games, 66 carries to 45 for he Mostert. Both guys saw 19 targets. So just comparing Mostert and Wilson, which I do think, you know, those guys are kind of vying for more of that early down between the tackles work. We'll see how much A-Chain gets of it. But, you know, just comparing Wilson and Mostert, I actually prefer Wilson. And from what I've seen, Mostert tends to go higher in, in fantasy drafts. I think they are duking it out with each other, depending on the site. It's varied depending on where I've been drafting, but I totally agree on Wilson. It's subtle, but if you look at how the team has treated both running backs, uh, it it suggests that they like Jeff Wilson at least slightly more. You you mentioned the carries last year. You know, that can be a little tough to read because of the limited amount of time they're actually working together. There were various injuries. Who knows exactly how healthy each guy was in between, even when they were playing. But they re-signed both Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson almost simultaneously this offseason. Wilson for a little bit more money, both on one-year deals, I believe, or it was two years, um, slightly more money for Jeff Wilson. They also traded a fifth-round draft pick for Wilson during last season with Mostert in the backfield. I mean, a fifth-round pick is not a lot, but it's something to give that for a veteran running back during an NFL mm-hmm. season. So I think that speaks to some of how much they they like Jeff Wilson. Both are clearly Mike McDaniel guys. They both have connections with him dating back to San Francisco and have been brought over since Mike McDaniel became the head coach. So I think that's a positive for both of them. McDaniel's also clearly excited about Devon A. Chain. I mean, they drafted him in round three, one of their four draft picks. So you can't waste your picks when you get four of them. He said he was excited, didn't think that they would get a chance for A-Chain to last that long. The biggest question for him is the size limitation. So he should be a part of the offense. He should be a helpful guy because of that speed. But the size is going to limit the number of touches that he can command. I, I, I think so. Yeah. And, you know, we currently have a chain projected for only 5.5 carries per game. You know, that, that might be low. We'll, we'll adjust throughout the summer as, as we kind of you know, hear Miami's plans for him. I think the exciting thing about a chain is his upside in the passing game. Um, he caught 60 balls over his final two college seasons. And again, you look at this dolphin step chart. We talked about it last week it is horrible behind the top two wide receivers. And it is awful at tight end. So I think like there's a real chance for a chain to finish third on this Dolphins team in target. So I think, you know, especially in full PPR leagues that, that makes them to me the most interesting among these three guys. I will say you look at underdog a chains at running back 35 in ADP and that's half PPR. Whereas, you know, Jeff Raheem Mostert's RB 48, Jeff Wilson's RB 54. Um, you know, again, I, 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 rather take Wilson at RB 54 than a chain at at running back 35. Yeah. I mean, I think if they were close together in ADP, you could still make a case for mixing your exposures among those players. So I think given those ADPs on underdog Wilson's the smash among the three for me, and there's nothing wrong with pairing two of them together because you're all, you're talking about low RB three level at highest for any of them. So you don't, you're not 
buying obviously you want any pick in that range to smash but you're not buying them expecting a smash you're buying them for game to game value in a backfield that's going to be unpredictable it's going to find touches and fantasy points for everybody so i think if you can take any two of those three guys you're going to get starter weeks from both of the guys that you draft but uh, jeff wilson has been one of my favorite running back values all off season i love him at rb54 i think people should be targeting him yeah. Yeah, we have Wilson RB39 in our half PPR rankings. He's RB40 in PPR. I was in the Fantasy Index draft um, a couple nights ago. Uh, full PPR, best ball, took A-chain in round 11, and then got Jeff Wilson in round 14. Love it. And I'm going to be in the Fantasy Index auction tonight. We're recording this Wednesday midday. I would not be surprised if Jeff Wilson ends up on my team for a couple of dollars. like it. Are you drafting best ball teams right now? If you are, you should create your draft war room on draftsharks.com. You can sync it to your drafts on underdog or on FFPC. You can get optimal pick recommendations at every single turn. And if you're new to underdog, if you haven't drafted on there yet, you can use our promo code draft sharks for a deposit match up to $100 match your first deposit completely. So you're getting free money to play with. Um, you know, you play those in pickums. you can build up your cash. You can win some free teams that way. Lots to do on there. Use the promo code, get free money, get your teams drafted on underdog. And of course, create that draft war room so that you're ready to dominate your specific draft. Jared, speaking of dominating, let's go to the saints backfield where Alvin Kamara, if all things were equal, might dominate the work, but the biggest question facing him and thus the entire backfield is will Kamara be suspended? There's been no action by the NFL so far, no even hint of action, no whisper like this is what needs to happen before we decide on this. That video of his incident came out in November. There's been nothing since then. The trial is set to begin on July 31st. I have no idea exactly how long a trial like that is going to last. I don't think any of us do. He and the other co-defendants pleaded not guilty, so it certainly doesn't sound like they're ready to make it happen as quickly as possible. There's a chance at least that this legal case does not affect Camara at all for 2023. So with that being the overhanging problem here, what did you do with Camara and the rest of the new Orleans backfield? Yeah. And we currently haven't projected for, I think it's only like 11 games. So we are, you know, obviously projecting uh suspension. You know, we'll keep an eye on that and adjust if we need to. to, to me, this is probably the hardest backfield for me to project right now. Um, Starting with a Kamara suspension, obviously, even beyond that, you know, Kamara had some funky usage over the second half of last season. He had three games with just single digit carries, and then he had just 12 total targets over the final five games. And you look at the offseason, the Saints add Jamal Williams, they add Kendra Miller. It just, it definitely feels like they're getting ready for life without Alvin Kamara, whether it's suspension this season or in 2020. 2024 and beyond I think I think this is his final year in New Orleans unless he you know takes a takes a major um, pay pay cut and restructures his contract because he's gonna Kamara is gonna have a 19 million dollar cap hit next season so it's always scary to like invest in a guy where the team kind of you know is is ready to to move on from Um, now that said like you know Jamal Williams doesn't scare me a ton um, he got, he, he got, he got one of the better contracts in free agency. I, I will say, you know, three years, 12 mil. That's a pretty nice deal for a running back this day and age, 8.2 million guaranteed. I, he's just, he's kind of just a guy to me. I know coaches tend to like him cause he's reliable and he's good in pass protection. He doesn't fumble all that stuff, but 
you, know, you, you look at the ad, ad, advanced metrics. Yeah, obviously coming off the huge season in Detroit with the 17 touchdowns, but you know the advanced metrics: 44th among 48 running backs in elusive rating, 33rd among those 48 in rush yards over expected per attempt. So you know he's 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 th- he's there as like a Camara insurance policy to me. And then Kendra Miller makes this even tougher, right? Because after adding Jamal Williams, they spend a third round pick, which again is nice draft capital on this on this rookie running back who you know they they obviously like quite a bit. Jamal Williams is a compliment. Uh, that's just what he is as an NFL running back. And they needed a compliment. I mean, if you look at the last two years for Alvin Kamara, they needed somebody else in the backfield, not the ghost of Mark Ingram or anything else that they like half-assed into, uh, you know, backfield, you know, backups or, or sharing the workload. They needed something better. So that's what they got in Jamal Williams. So I don't think he comes in to challenge the workload. He comes in to take needed workload away from Alvin Kamara, whose efficiency stunk the past two years versus the previous few question on the Kamara efficiency is, is he just like so far down the hill at this point that the efficiency isn't coming back even on less work or does he rebound some on efficiency by getting fewer touches We'll deal with the suspension if it comes, when it comes. Uh, for now, it's clearly baked into his ADP. He's been in the 30s among running backs all along. And Jamal Williams is at RB40. So the, the that's going by underdog ADP. People clearly are just apprehensive with the backfield as a whole. To me, if you're drafting enough volume, you should be targeting at least one of those guys. And they're in a range where they're pretty easy to target together. You can put... Alvin Kamara on your team in round nine, Jamal Williams on your team in round 10 or 11. And then you've got the entire season of Saints backfield. Now that's not a backfield that I think is going to have a monster year. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying you have to have it, but in terms of where you're taking them and the upside, especially on a week to week basis, I think both of those guys stand out as values. Kendra Miller is going a little bit close to them. I think RB 44 now, you mentioned the draft capital, and it's significant. Early round three, he was the fourth running back off the board. Dennis Allen talked up his downhill running, his contact balance, his breakaway speed, and he indicated that he doesn't think TCU used Kendra Miller's receiving skills enough. So they clearly think that they have a three-down back. Now, the question for us to answer, and we're never going to get the full answer until the season begins at least, why did the Saints take him where they did? Is it because they're scared of losing Kamara for some games? They want to make sure that they have plenty in that backfield this year. Or do they just think that Kendra Miller is so good that they're like, we're going to take him here. If he helps us with the Kamara situation this year, great. But beyond that, we've got a really good running back for next year when Kamara is probably not in our plans anymore. I think when you combine the Kamara uncertainty with Kendrick Miller also coming off a knee injury that required surgery in January, yep. I'm not betting on Miller right now for yep. real 2023 value. Um, I'm more interested in him longer term. That, that's my read right now, that Miller was more of a 2024 and beyond pick after Kamara is gone. You mentioned the knee injury. He's also super young. You know, Miller, I think he's still not even 21 years old. So I think he's definitely more of a long-term play. Now, if – Kamara does does get that suspension. I think you know Miller will probably get on the field behind Jamal Williams. So he, he's overpriced to me. I'm not taking him at RB44 or whatever whatever you said it was. Kamara and Williams, I, I think they're they're fine. I can't argue against the ADPs. They're still not guys I'm aggressively targeting. Um, I mean, there's there's still a Taysom Hill problem for these running backs. Taysom Hill handled 48% of the Saints carries inside the 10 yard line last season. This offensive line too. 
for a while, it was like a top five unit. The Saints finished 26th last year in PFF run blocking grade. So you talk about Kamara's efficiency. I think part of it is he is on the decline. The other part of it is the, you know, the blocking in front of them, uh, in front of him has not been as good. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think I finally took my first Kamara share in the ninth round um, earlier this week on Underdog. I guess that's kind of the, the point where I'm comfortable taking a shot on him. I've been taking Kamara shares all off season. And just to give a little bit more context, the ADP James cook is right ahead of Alvin Kamara in ADP. I mean, that's a, a no brainer for me. James cook is almost a zero share player for me. Javante Williams is a little bit ahead of Kamara. And I think they're in the same boat for different reasons. You're dealing with some uncertainty. They could blow up in your face or things could go well and they could be huge values from where they are. Zach Charbonnet is right behind uh, Alvin Kamara. So, you know, that, that kind of range of players. Yeah. Kamara over cook and, and Charbonnet is, is easy for me. Mm-hmm. The final backfield we will discuss here is one that everybody was sad about come draft weekend. It's the Seattle Seahawks. Kenneth Walker, first of all, Jared, he never felt comfy to me in round two of early best ball drafting. I obviously was not expecting Seattle to draft a second round compliment for him, but I think that Kenneth Walker was probably a little bit overrated coming off his rookie season. The the numbers in general were good, you know, the raw rushing numbers everybody's familiar with, but he ranked 38th and 32nd among 42 qualifiers in Football Outsiders' main rushing metrics you know, rushing efficiency, 41st in success rate. And that measures how often a player was able to get what he needed on a given play, which, you know, is different on first and 10 versus third and two. So not successful at all, really, Mm -hmm. um, compared with other qualifying running backs. It's possible with Zach Charbonnet coming on, on board that Kenneth Walker might not even be their best running back going forward. I still think he is. And the, the metrics are interesting. I've, I've seen, I think it was um, JJ Zacharyson pointed out the success rate stuff too. And yeah, he, he's bad in that metric. But you look at other metrics like elusive rating 13th out of 48 carries uh, out of 48 running backs, um, 16th in rush yards over expected per attempt among those 48. Walker is that boom bust type running back, almost like a Saquon Barkley, where he's going to get, you know, one yard, lose a yard, two yards, and he's going to bust off a 30 yarder. So, you know, the, the success rate, which kind of measures, you know, what you do play to play won't be as good, but you look at the total body work and it ends up looking good because he does have those explosive runs. So I, again, I, I still think Walker is Seattle's best runner. I think we had questions about him coming into the league in the passing game. And he definitely didn't answer those in a positive way as a rookie. I mean, he ended up catching 27 passes because, you know, because of their shot penny injury, I think they kind of had no one else, but Walker, 0.67 yards per route run last year. That was 42nd among 43 qualifying running backs. He was 33rd among those 43 in PFF receiving grade. So he was not efficient. He was not you know, particularly good in the passing game. And Seattle has highlighted Zach Charbonnet's ability in the passing game since they drafted him. And Charbonnet did catch 61 passes over his final two college seasons. I can I looked at a uh, Charbonnet versus Walker in their final college seasons. Charbonnet easily beat Walker in yards per route run, 1.31 to 0.44. Charbonnet also easily beat Kenneth Walker in their final college seasons in PFF receiving grade. So I I, I think that's kind of how they envision this. Is I think Walker is still going to be the primary primary early down guy. I think Charbonnet mixes in, but I do think Charbonnet is going to play on the majority of passing downs, which is obviously a you know, pretty big knock against Walker's fantasy value. 
it's interesting that Pete Carroll's already talked up the receiving angle because that makes you, I guess, want to like Charbonnet more for fantasy because we talk about how important it is for a running back to have the receiving. Seattle has not been a very good spot to be a receiving running back. The Seahawks last season had the sixth smallest receiving share among running backs. Um, 2021, they had the third smallest target share for the position. They were also in the bottom half of the league the two years before that. You know, do they envision Zach Charbonnet as that good a receiving back that they're going to increase the usage there? Maybe, maybe there's a, a slight bump, but it's tough for me to believe that they're going to send a lot more toward the running backs when they also added the draft's top wide receiver. They also love having multiple tight ends and they like all their tight ends quite a bit. So I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of receiving value here. I think ultimately, these two are going to cannibalize each other and make neither one really a big fantasy factor this year. What do you think between Walker and Charbonnet? Yeah. I, I mean, I hate being out on Walker because again, I think he is a, a big time talent. He's like a second year player still probably ascending, but he's, he's going too early in drafts for me post NFL draft. Now I do think it's, this is a good you know example of where it's important to look at scoring system. Cause you look at our rankings, Walker is 21st in PPR. He does jump up to RB 16 in half PPR. Now his, his underdog ADP, which is half PPR is RB 15. So he's still going higher than we have from ranked to me. The best argument for both these guys is if the other one goes down, I think the healthy guy can give you RB one productions. I think they're, they're talented enough. And, and I think, you know, this offense is going to be good enough where, you know, if they do get 75% of the backfield work again, you're, you're probably looking at a top 12 fantasy back. Yeah, there's certainly upside to one going down. And you can see Kenneth Walker making it to round five in drafts at this point. I think at that point, it's okay. I do think that even if you prefer Kenneth Walker, you have to at least entertain the possibility that Zach Charbonnet is a better runner. And, you know, you like boom bust value to a degree in a running back because those big plays are big for production. But I think one way that it could tip in Charbonnet's favor is if at some point Seattle's like, dude, Kenneth, just take what's there instead of trying to yep. bounce everything. Let's just put Zach, who's also a thumper in near the goal line. He's going to be our touchdown guy. I, I worry that that's a possibility that occurs yep. here. And, you know, it's keeping me from even getting hyped about Walker at his depressed price early in drafts. Again, I think Walker's a better runner than Charbonnet, but it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what, what the the – Seahawks think obviously what Pete Carroll thinks. I'm just looking up right now. I mean, Charbonnet only went well, like it was like 10, 10 or 15 picks later than, than Kenneth Walker did. You know, they're both second round picks. So yeah, we you're right. We need to be open to the possibility that Charbonnet is going to, going to take more work than we even have projected right now. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely here to make our own opinions about these players, but I think it's important <laughs> to be like, I'm going to be wrong about some of these. This is how I could be wrong about this guy. So we're going to factor that in at least a little bit. That's, you know, especially what the ceiling and floor projections do. It, it yeah. shows what the downside risk is. It shows what the ultimate ceiling is. If things go that player's way, you know, you just saw them. If you're watching on YouTube, it showed the example of the rankings for Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. We build those into the projections for everybody. So we've been talking about the projections, but we know that we're not going to be spot on with every single player. Just most of them, right, Jared? Yeah, we're going to try, but <laughs> that's going to do it for this backfield talk. If you like what you have seen and or heard here today, then please do us a favor, hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. Give us a rating or a follow wherever you're consuming this podcast. Review the show. Tell us what you like about it. Tell us what you don't like about it. Tell us what we could improve. We like all of it. 
And I mean, it's a big help to us. We do enjoy doing this stuff. Primarily we're in it because it's fun, but it is also our job. So I've got three kids to feed. It'd be nice to you consider this a GoFundMe. Go ahead and, and rate review. You don't have to send me any money. Just do some stuff on there. Help us spread the word. Help more people find us. We appreciate it. For Jared Smola and the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us. Thank you.